thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Dr. Christmas, Dr. 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 Christmas, the naked scientist. Chris, a very good morning to you, sir. Morning, Kino. Have you been? Uh, I'm not even going to ask you what you've been up to because I would imagine half of that's got to do with coronavirus again. (laughs) Now, there's a funny thing. Interesting week this week, isn't it? Because last week or so, we were talking about AstraZeneca's vaccine and and there was a bit of speculation about whether, because there are other vaccines that work in a very similar way, they're based around modified cold viruses that are the Trojan horse that brings the message about coronavirus into the body. Would they suffer the same sort of possible consequence and side effect profile that we're seeing with AstraZeneca's vaccine? Answer, it appears that that is the case. Johnson & Johnson's vaccine rollout has been suspended temporarily in America after a very small number of uh, young women have been diagnosed with the same sort of brain clots that we were seeing with AstraZeneca's vaccine. I should emphasise again, very, very small numbers. And in fact, if you look at the odds of this side effect happening, you're much more likely to get hit by lightning than you are to suffer this side effect. Nevertheless, some countries are acting very, very cautiously. Denmark becoming uh, the latest country to to say they're banning AstraZeneca's vaccine altogether. So an, an interesting week in this respect. I think we've not really been in this position before where we've seen the mass rollout of a new medicine to the entire world in such a short space of time. And it's really interesting to see how different countries are trying to embrace the risk associated with this and do the risk benefit analysis and and not throw the baby out with the bathwater and i think some places are going over the top yeah well south africa's put on hold the the johnson and johnson at the moment yeah so but i mean okay that's fine from a statistics perspective right so we can throw statistics at people chris but um, the question then is you're still dealing with emotional beings who then have to ask the question, well, if it happened to that person, what are the chances that it's going to happen to me? And we're not just talking in Johnson and Johnson's case. We're not, I think we're talking about a blood clot in the brain itself, or right. Um, and I, I mean, I, I always encourage people every day after my show, I encourage people to take the virus. The question is, how do you deal with that uncertainty as to who it affects? Because that's a big thing. You don't know. You know, your life is your life, and you could be the one percent. The challenge is you don't know. But it's not one percent, and that's the point. It's 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 a one in a million. And how many people listening to this program? And I know there are some, Mm. so I'll be very cautious how I word this. But how many people listening to this program have been hit by lightning? I'm aware of all in all the years we've been doing this show Mm. uh, across South Africa, also on seven o two. I'm aware yep. of one person who phoned, and I think you were actually on when this guy phoned up and said he got hit by lightning. <laughs> one, yes. um, you know, in in about <laughs> 15 years of doing this program, it, it's it's very very rare. But we as a species are notoriously bad at gauging and judging risk. And here's the statistic that really you do need to bear in mind because Oxford University have have been looking at this question and and have just put together some data. They haven't published this yet. They're waiting for it to come out in a journal, but they've just announced that they've looked at about 500,000 cases of COVID and they've compared 
that with 34 million doses of AstraZeneca's vaccine administered across Europe, your rate of having a brain blood clot if you catch COVID is 10 times higher than your chance of having the same outcome if you have the vaccine. So when you look at it in that perspective, and then you think of all the other possible consequences of COVID, you realise there is a very compelling case to be made for having the vaccine. But it doesn't stop people thinking, hmm, well, I haven't got COVID yet, and I could go and have the vaccine as a healthy person, and I might have this tiny chance of this problem happening to me, so I won't have the vaccine. And, and in fact, it is a very, very flawed reasoning and logic but we're we're all human we all do it it's a bit like saying well i haven't had a heart attack yet so i will carry on smoking and i'll carry on having high blood pressure because i'll give up when i need to and it's the same flawed logic unfortunately listen to this someone says you know the chance of getting the clots from COVID 19 is nine times greater than that of the Astra, okay, now I've made some sense of it, than the extra from the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine. Yep. So, and that was the you, statistic COVID, I gave you. Um, I, yeah. I actually spoke to the guy who did that That's trial right. last night, and they said to me uh, that there were 39 in a million, that's your chance, 39 in a million chance of having one of these brain blood clots if you catch COVID. The rate at which they're detecting it with the vaccine is five per million. So you're therefore between eight and ten times more likely to have the the side effect if you catch COVID than if you just have the vaccine. Absolutely. Another question here, Keto. Please ask Chris if one is still um, at high risk of getting COVID nineteen if your blood pressure is being controlled by pulls. Now, I mean, your blood pressure has got nothing to do with you catching COVID nineteen, surely, Chris. It's how COVID nineteen potentially affects your body once you catch it, right? The reason people were concerned about this in the first instance is because we detected early on, this time last year, that this new coronavirus binds to cells using a marker on the cell surface called ACE2, angiotensin-converting enzyme 2. And this is part of a spectrum and and a a range of different biochemical factors in the body that long-term control blood pressure and also is very important in controlling inflammation. And so people suggested, well, is this why people who have a history of high blood pressure seem to be coming off worse if they catch coronavirus? Mm. The next question they asked was, and if you're popping pills of the variety which are called ACE inhibitors, which hit angiotensin-converting enzyme, which is one step upstream of this angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 that coronavirus uses, will that make a difference? This has been thoroughly examined. You're far better off taking your blood pressure medication uh, than, than not taking it, and this is not going to exaggerate your risk of coronavirus. If you have treated blood pressure, then notwithstanding any other background health risks, your risk is is lower than someone who has untreated high blood pressure. Therefore, the safe thing to do is to carry on and treat treat, uh, your blood pressure and stay away from coronavirus if you can, and and partly by getting a vaccine if you can. Absolutely. Um, Let's go to Jack. Jack in Plett. Hi, Jack. Good morning. Hi, morning. I hope I haven't got the wrong end of the stick, but um, you're saying that uh, some of these uh, vaccines can uh, lead to blood clots on the brain. And I'm just wondering if you have a pre-existing condition in your family that people have suffered from and died from um, aneurysms, would this then be uh, a reason to not take the vaccine? 
Jack, um, I, I th- this, is, this is a very important point, and the blood clots we're talking about are a very specific manifestation called a cerebral venous sinus thrombosis. This is very rare. It occurs at the rate of, a, in the background population, about 10 people per million per year get this. And if you take the oral contraceptive pill, not that hopefully you would, Jack, you wouldn't need that, but if you did, you'd be increasing your risk of having that complication tenfold, eight to tenfold. And that is therefore significantly higher than the risk of of this happening if you use one of these coronavirus vaccines, which has been implicated. That is not the same, though, as another manifestation of brain vasculature, which is an aneurysm, which is not a clotting off of a blood vessel, although aneurysms can be a risk factor for that happening. An aneurysm is a focal dilatation of the wall of a blood vessel, and it expands and swells up and becomes much larger in diameter than it should do, and this is a risk factor for a rupture of that blood vessel, which can lead to a bleed either into the brain itself or into the watery substance called cerebrospinal fluid that bathes the brain. Either way, it can be a catastrophe and it can be lethal. But these these coronavirus vaccines are not linked to any problem related to aneurysms, but coronavirus infection can be a problem for causing strokes and blood clots in arteries which can lead to strokes and heart attacks and so therefore the vaccine again is regarded as the much safer option for people who might be at risk of vascular disease. Thanks Jack. Chris what then if a woman is on contraceptives and they use the contraceptives and they get the vaccine does that increase their chances of getting the the clot? I don't think the two effects actually synergize. Mm. I think that they don't cumulate. I think that you have a risk escalation owing to being on the pill. You would have a risk escalation, albeit a tiny one, of of having one of these vaccines. If you caught coronavirus, you would have a risk escalation. It's not like it's a accumulator, like winning the the football pools or something. Where you know, the more times you win, the 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 bigger the winnings. I don't think it accumulates in that way, but I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think anyone knows at the moment because we don't have the data yet sure. to know that for sure. But my my intuition is that is not going to be the case. But you never say never in medicine. So uh, let's see what the data ultimately suggest on that front you are taking your calls for dr chris smith the naked scientist um and we've got a question here on whatsapp let's take a listen to that morning dr chris uh kenny here i just want to find out i've got a nose bleeding problem and i don't really understand what happens because um most of the time it will happen uh, after i've been in the sun if i stand in the sun maybe for 20 30 minutes um, it might happen a little later after, or it might happen uh, at night uh, when I'm about to sleep or when I'm sleeping. Uh, my nose will itch, and thereafter I'll, I'll start bleeding. So I, I don't really understand what goes on. If you could help me with that, thank you. Hi, Kenny. Um, yeah. The answer to this one, the posh word for nosebleeds is epistaxis. And some people are more prone to nosebleeds. The nose has a very rich blood supply. This is so that you can warm the air that you breathe in and make it moist so that then it uh, doesn't dry out your lungs. 
Uh, the the problem with that rich blood supply is the blood vessels are very close to the surface of the nose lining and they're easily traumatised. And infection can do this. Uh, if you have kiddies who come to the doctor and they, the parent says, this child keeps on having nosebleeds, the first thing you do is you ask them what hand they write with and then you look at the index finger of that hand because the picking finger is often the culprit in those cases. I'm not saying you pick your nose, Kenny, but trauma is what I'm where I'm going with that knocking the nose, rubbing the nose, blowing the nose, or infections like viruses that cause trauma. Those are common causes. Some people, though, have other reasons why their blood might not clot as well. And those individuals can also be at risk of recurrent nosebleeds. If this is a new thing, then it's not one of those sorts of disorders. If it's something you've had forever, then it might be worth getting that investigated in case there is an underlying cause of that. But in all other respects, I think the standing in the sun is probably less likely to be an issue. I think it's more likely something's making your nose irritate and you're rubbing it. And because because you've got fragile blood vessels in the nose, when you rub or itch your nose, that is disturbing these blood vessels and it is making them uh, tend to ooze blood. And that's why you're having the nosebleed. But as I say, if this is a new thing, it might just be because you've, you've traumatised some blood vessels close to the lining surface of your nose and this will get better. If it's something you've had for a while, perhaps you have something in your nose which is such as a, an abnormal development or growth of those blood vessels or something else which is actually damaging blood vessels in some way and and if this is a persistent thing you could perhaps get that checked out just in case there's something going on that can be fixed what you're listening to the naked scientist dr chris smith and your questions um and and you must also check out the naked scientists.com by the way they've got a a couple of very interesting bits there you can also see um some of the questions that other people have been asking and i mean one of the things that i sort of stumbled upon and there are a couple of interesting ones here i mean the first one is you know does not having intercourse actually harm your health? Well, it harms your mental health. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. No, it depends, no, doesn't it? If, if it's a choice, if it's something you choose not to do, then then that's absolutely fine. But if if it's something which is being forced upon you because of circumstances, then that would, of course, lead to people feeling quite frustrated, maybe depressed, maybe stressed. And, and we know that chronic stress is not good for you. So, yes, it could harm your health. Yeah, absolutely. So your calls to Dr. Christmas, the Naked Scientist, 021-446-0567 and WhatsApp, 072-567-1567. And there was another interesting question here from someone. Um, how does this vaccine affect someone uh, on warfarin for blood clotting is the question. The, uh, the use of warfarin is quite common. And this is not associated with problems with these vaccines. The reason people are having these brain blood clot problems is because in a tiny minority of people, they appear to develop an immune response, which leads to the production of antibodies called antiplatelet factor 4 antibodies. This effectively is a trip switch which activates platelets that cause blood to start clotting. Now, warfarin works against a different part of the blood coagulation system, not the platelets, and therefore it will not be impacting on this particular issue and it is not associated with a problem with the use of the vaccine. So I would say carry on using your warfarin. That's there for a reason. Don't worry about having the vaccine in terms of it interacting with the warfarin. 
this is as, as the risk of having the side effect is vanishingly small anyway and we've also known there's lots of people who've been on warfarin who have had the vaccine without any kind of incident you've got both statistics and our understanding of biochemistry on your side that everything will be fine indeed now um, i'm gonna there's a lot of questions coming in around COVID 19 and i know <laughs> we want to vary it a little bit um would overweight people last longer in a famine <laughs> it depends uh, if if you eat the overweight person, no, because everyone else is hungry, the answer would be no. But if it was just a who could starve themselves for the longest, why do we become fat? We become fat because we're storing energy. Fat is the most yes. efficient way, weight for weight, that you can store energy. The energy density of fat is huge because you are storing metabolic energy in the bonds between atoms. And in fat, those are hydrocarbon chains, carbon atoms glued together. So someone who carries a lot of fat has a lot of stored energy. Therefore, they could, in theory, run for longer than someone who is thinner before they ran out of energy. But it's not as simple as that. And the reason it's not as simple as that is there are some tissues in the body that have an obligatory requirement to use certain types of nutrient that you can't get from fat. While fat can be broken down to produce energy, there are some things in the body that you can't just make from energy. There are essential amino acids. There are some tissues that can't burn fat very efficiently and they need glucose. Where do they get their glucose from? Well, mm. you have to produce glucose by burning protein. Where do you get the protein from if you're starving? From yourself. So you basically start to eat yourself, which is why you get thin if you're in a starvation situation. So therefore... Uh, there are going to be those obligatory requirements for using glucose where you have to go and get the sugars from tissues that are not fat. And so that will continue that that will continue relentlessly. So although the fat person might have more energy on board and might have a better chance being, of having been pretty well nourished to start with, let's say, of making it compared to a thinner person to start with, both are going to suffer through starvation. Another one here. I have bad, very close veins. Will the vaccine affect me? We get some really interesting questions coming in. Varicose veins are dilated veins in the lower legs. Most commonly affected is the saphenous vein, which runs up the uh, up the leg and then turns inwards and connects itself up to your femoral vein up in your thigh. And because it's a very long vein close to the surface it can be subjected to quite high venous pressures when you're standing up and eventually over a lifetime of doing that it can dilate and uh, the valves inside the vein which are there to keep the blood only going upwards can become incompetent, in other words they're leaky and so the vein fills up with blood and the high pressure of blood above pushes the walls of the vein outwards and it dilates painfully. This can be a risk factor for coagulation. You can get blood clots forming in these varicose veins for a variety of reasons, although that's thankfully not as common as varicose veins are. But it doesn't, by and large, affect your chance of having a problem with coronavirus. If coronavirus is going to cause an issue with your clotting, which it does in 30% of people, you don't need varicose veins for that to happen anyway, which ah. is why you're better off if if you if you can to get vaccinated and not catch covid because your best prospect for having a, a problem with your clotting uh, is is to catch coronavirus well yeah you're safe jeremy uh let's go to barbara in heart bay hi hello dr chris everybody. hi barbara um, my, hi my question is i usually have an annual flu vaccine 
I've just been notified this morning that our pharmacy is available at the pharmacy, but I'm also due to have the uh, COVID vaccine. Do you recommend that I have both? Long term, Barbara, they're talking about doing a sort of combo so that you could have one in one arm, one in the other. At the moment, uh, it depends on the vaccine product and and the different countries' rules and guidance. Some people are saying if you've had a vaccine within the last seven days, then you should wait until seven days have elapsed before having the other one. But because they work quite differently and they go into different parts of the body and they are working on the immune system in different ways, then we would regard it actually as not a problem if a person were to have huh? both both of them at once. We're pretty sure that that's going to be absolutely fine. But you'll have to check oh. what the local guidance is for you in in terms of uh, yeah. what they do. Because I went and got a, a vaccine the other day, and it's for for COVID, and and it was asking me on the consent form, "Have you had any other vaccine in the last seven days?" And I was able to say, "No, I haven't." So they're absolutely fine with oh, that. I but I think, as I say, longer term, I think to, because it's less com- less inconvenient for people. And we we will probably need to give boosters for people for the, the, these problems. It's very likely we'll probably try and roll everything together, and there may well be a combined flu and and COVID vaccine, one in each arm. All oh, right, I'd, I'd hate to miss out on on both because I'm in the age group where I'm due to have you know the, the vaccine, mm. the the COVID. So um, a bit of I thought you would be the one I would. Ask. You should take it, Barbara. It's uh, take the vaccine when they offer it. Okay, uh, absolutely. Uh, let's go to to Jen. Jen's in Cormacky. Hi, Jen. Hi. Good morning, people. Hello. Um, I wanted to. This is totally non-COVID related. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to know why the heart is so connected with emotions uh, as opposed to other organs of the body. I mean, you can feel physically feel heartache when you're sad and you know you get elated you can feel it in your heart when you're happy Um, and it's a real physical feeling why is it the heart and not another organ of the body Uh, lovely question jen i think the reason for this and this is my speculation but i think the reason for this is your heart's a muscle it's a big muscle it moves and produces a lot of sensations when your heart is hammering away in your chest you can feel it when uh, you're feeling very stressed and nervous and tense everything tightens up and so you're more more likely to notice your heart beating Um, when you get excited and and really pleased about something your heart speeds up when you get very emotional about something your heart speeds up why does it do that because it's wired into your nervous system it's also wired into chemicals in the bloodstream noradrenaline and adrenaline which are produced in response to strong emotions so given that your heart is so tightly bound up to your fight or flight reaction which is part of your automatic nervous response to anticipating and responding to danger it produces a very obvious sensory input to your body my heart's beating very hard when i am excited Mm. scared running away whatever and i think that's why it's connected in that way to our psyche that you know your heart is is a physical manifestation of what your emotions are doing Mm. and it's it's better sending someone a card um with a heart on it uh jen than with an amygdala Although that could be good, I, I can see a market for that. I could, I could see that working. <laughs> I'll give you my amygdala, uh, <laughs> which is responsible, I would believe, for the flight and 
right response, right, Chris? Well, the, the amygdala that Kino is referring to, the, these two almond-sized structures, one on each side of your brain in the temporal lobe, which is yeah. the brain's fear center. And when you have fear, when you have irrational emotional reactions to things like uh, you have phobias, we think the amygdala is kicking in and is then telling other parts of the brain to put in place the responses, which include a surge of adrenaline, a surge in heart rate, increased respiration, all those sort of fear responses. But the amygdala is the brain site where the messages are integrated and then the, the action is taken, yeah. I still stick with right. the heart. I still stick with the heart, Chen. I think sending someone a photograph <laughs> of two, uh, two, uh, two almond-shaped little things <laughs> might send the wrong message. Um, anyway, uh, have a wonderful weekend, Chen. You too. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. We have to laugh a little bit, eh? What the heck? <laughs> Dr. Chris Smith, the naked scientist with us this morning. And uh, hi, Dr. Smith. Our family has a genetic clotting disease called Factor V Leiden. Yep. Um, I hope. Yep. So, would that would the vac- vaccine affect us? Factor five Leiden is reasonably common, and it used to be called the Dahlback factor. And uh, it is uh, an abnormality in one of the elements of the clotting system, factor five, which affects a person's ability to clot their blood normally. Again, because these vaccines are targeting a different part of the clotting pathway which is a complicated machinery which is very tightly regulated in the body this particular issue factor 5 Leiden should not make a difference in the context of the vaccine at least that's my understanding as we stand at the moment as I've said many times you can never say in every medicine so I'm going to keep my eye on this to see as more data emerges. This is such a new thing that we've found here that it's very difficult to know exactly where we stand, but my instinct is that there will not be a problem. Dr. Chris Smith, the Naked Scientist, thank you for your time, sir. And it is time for us to wrap, so maybe we have a a, a bit of an exit discussion because we won't have enough time to get into something um, you know something that needs quite a bit of explanation so what are you what are your plans what are you up to what are you going to be doing are we always oh, like I'm, I'm on um, I'm on clinical duty this weekend so um I shall be I shall be traipsing off to the hospital and and that means the weather is going to be awesome because it's sod's law whenever I'm on duty weather nice and I'm not at home to enjoy it but there we are how about yourself no, me, I am... Uh, what am I going to do this week? It's a very good question, actually. The weather's going to be great, so I try my best to go to the beach with my, my three-year-old and, uh, you know, just, just sort of splash in the waves and stuff. Not that I go into the waves regularly. I just get the old feet wet. Um, <laughs> but he loves the beach, so I'll be doing that. We also have um, friends coming around, not a lot of them, only three of them, well, three different people of one family, uh, popping around for a bit of a braai. So that'll be done in the outdoors. It'll be done safely. And all of us have had COVID. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean anything anymore. Too. I mean, look at what's going on in Brazil. Brazil. I mean, oh it's a yes. terrible situation where, where people are just catching this thing again. And, um, and you know, they thought they were out of the they're woods and, and, they're, and they're not. So, you know, but these are people who had the original one catching that's the right. variant. They, that's they? right. That's, that's absolutely right. Yeah. So we 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 hope that uh, that country manages to get itself back on its feet soon. Well, it doesn't help them that they had a blinking idiot as a president. Well, they still have the, the same. They still you know, have the blinking idiot. They still as have a someone who seems to be completely insouciant about what's going on. I I don't know. Yeah. I just don't understand I don't it. Know. 
yeah, the but you know the, the the bottom end of the gene pool is not a lonely place, and he seems to be floating around there as well. But Chris, thank you very much for your time. I trust you're going to have a wonderful weekend. I know you're going to be on duty. At least the good people in England can thank you for the weather. So, Enjoy your bride. Certainly will. Chris Smith, the Naked Scientist, back next week. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.